Welcome to another episode of Winging It in Motown Radio. This is Peter. I'm your host for tonight. Joining me is JJ. How are you doing, JJ? Uh, it's great as night ever. Prashanth, how's it going, Prashanth? Just cruising. Sweet. All right, It's uh, it's been a while since our last episode. Since then, a lot has happened. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover everything, but we're going to do our best to talk about the most important things. So first up, let's talk about the end of the Red Wings season and what we are focused on going forward. Um, first, Detroit missed the playoffs for the first time in a long time, you know, 25 consecutive playoff appearances. Uh, so this definitely cast a shadow over the end of the season. Um, but we were still able to end the season on a happy note, um, although it was still bittersweet. Uh, you know, it's the last game ever at Joe Louis Arena, but we got to win. And everybody's favorite player, Riley Shan, scored two goals, which was super fun. Um, so I think all three of us were definitely were able to watch the game live. But JJ, you were able to be there. So let's start with you. So um, what, what were your memories that last game? Like, what was that experience like? Uh, it was uh, amazing. It was the the crowd showed up knowing. I mean, we all knew what was what was going on. Like there wasn't any like real stupidity. It was just, like everybody getting together for for kind of one last party. And the the Red Wings delivering a, a really good game was was it was so key to that because I, like you could tell. The feeling in the arena was there's a lot of nervousness about whether or not this would be essentially just a repeat of the Montreal game from the night before, uh, which wasn't terrible, but I mean it wasn't a that wasn't a very fun game. Um, but you get into that and you know you start appreciating it. like I I don't know a lot of people like to complain about the the sound guy at the Joe and the the music selections, but at at that point it just felt like right. Like everything was was going exactly as it should be going. Uh, people started throwing octopuses, and I know <laughs> that, um, you know that all season long, uh, well, not all season long, but late in the season when it was like clear that we weren't making the playoffs, it was like you know just don't do that. But at the last game of the Joe, I think they threw they ended up throwing out like thirty five of them, including <laughs> a monster during the the anthem, and that was. It was it was really fun to watch, and Sabatka just uh, went out there and, and started twirling them around, and, and just you know it was a, a fantastic final show for the arena. I think it was really good. Like I, honestly, my only complaint is like, and I know why they held on not playing "Don't Stop Believing" until like the very end of the the full ceremony. I think they should have played it before the end of the game too. Yeah, but that yeah. was like literally that's literally my only complaint. Yeah, so uh, for those of us watching at home on uh, Fox Sports Detroit, we got to see uh, behind the scenes of what happens after they bring the octopus or octopi, octopuses, whatever, off the ice. And um, basically, they just put them in a giant garbage can. And <laughs> uh, people were coming by and taking their turns, uh, lifting them out and showing them to the camera. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. So my, my question watching at home, because I was, I was fortunate enough to do the recap uh, for the last, actually the last two games, with the last game, and I know I was sitting there really, really hoping, I mean, for a ton of reasons, but, you know, selfishly, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to write if they lose this game. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to make that work, because it's just going to be such a bummer. So, like, what was the feeling in the arena on that Hall goal that uh, eventually got disallowed? But, I mean, it must that must have been terrible. 
Oh, I mean, yeah, the, the air had come out quickly because that was basically the second goal real quick. And, you know, you got just enough time to think of, like, oh, shit, they're going to blow this. Um, all that, like, the Randy Quaid from Major League coming in. It's like, this is just going to be awful. It's going to be heartbreaking. And and just, you know, from all the, the buildup that had been going on, like, we were, like, in a really – like a really comfortable spot with where the game had been going that way, and we're just like, okay, let's 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 keep it moving. And then that hall goal happened, and it just, it, yeah, it, like I said, it, just, it just sucked all the the energy out of the arena. So as soon as that got disallowed, that that kind of gave everybody a, a little chance to to build it back up. And but it took it took a little while to to reclaim the feeling there after, even after just the scare itself did that. Yeah, and uh, so Prashanth, over to you. Uh, how, how did you feel about that last game? I was just genuinely excited. I know for a lot of people, that game meant a lot to close down the building. And sure, you have the few people who complained about the impact on draft position and whatnot. But that was just a that was a much needed win for a team that had been much maligned, and it got a player. <laughs> who had been receiving a lot of criticism in Riley Shan off the schneid. I was, I don't know, I was just thrilled with the way that game ended. I thought the Wings looked phenomenal coming out of the gates. They attacked. They looked great. Yeah, New Jersey's a crap team, but I'm going to let that slide. I really, I, just, I don't know, I was just very happy with how the Wings closed down the building. I felt like it was fitting based on the teams that had skated on that ice for the previous, you know, 30-some years. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had a video of my reaction when Shayan scored that first goal. Um, I'm pretty sure I think I just laughed <laughs> because it was just it was so ridiculous. You know, like all, you know, not all season, but, you know, after like the halfway point, everybody's saying, oh, he's going to score the last goal or, you know, you know he's not going to score to the last game. And then to have that actually happen uh, was, you know, I, I know I looked at it and I saw the one in the five and I was like, like, wait a second, that's not Nielsen, is it? And then once I realized it was just, I don't know, I, I was really happy for him, you know, because, you know, obviously, I mean, he 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 should have had a better year. But, you know, it wasn't like he wasn't getting chances. It wasn't like he wasn't doing good things. You know, he just seemed to be maybe the most, like, snake-bitten player I've ever seen. Like, I, I don't remember seeing a player that just seemed to have that much bad luck happen to him you know, on good scoring chances, things like that. Um, but yes. And then um, after the, after the game, they had the ceremony. Uh, it was really great to see all the players, um, you know, that just, just seemed like a really, uh, you know, really fun thing. I mean, like out of all the things, I mean, that, that must've been amazing to, to be able to see live and, you know, to have that memory, uh, you know, the last night there. Um, and one of the things that happened there. Uh, when Iserman was out on the ice is that some of the fans started chanting, uh, basically they want him to come home. Uh, so I think that's probably a good segue into the next topic, which is, you know, what comes next? Uh, Prashanth, you wrote a, a, a three article series about this, about about the rebuild, um, you know, what we should do, what we could do. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I, I don't expect you to go through the whole thing, but, you know, for anybody listening who wasn't able to get a chance to, uh, to hear that or to read that, um, you know, so what are your ideas going forward? You know, if you can kind of break it down and just hit the highlights. Yeah, I mean, the, the first the addressing the Stevie comments, I thought that was hilarious. They were showing Ken Holland sitting on the box all by himself. And then you got the arena chain, come home, Stevie. I thought that was just 
hilarious. Um, so I very much enjoyed that. But in terms of the rebuild moving forward, I think you're at a very critical juncture with this team as the as they have been for the last several seasons. Um, and this free agency period is no different. There are a number of key free agents that the Wings have got lined up that they have to make sure they take care of. You've got restricted free agents and Thomas Tatar, Andreas Athanasiu, and Xavier Roulette. Each of those three players really does deserve a new contract and deserves to come back, um, you know, if the Wings are able to make that manageable. And outside of that, the Wings shouldn't be doing anything else from a player management standpoint. They should be looking to, they've already said they're not bringing back Drew Miller, which uh, given that Joe Vitale, who's been on LTIR the entire season, he won't be back. So, you know, it's really making sure that you take advantage of that free cap space by using it to sign your Athanasius, your Tatars, and then Ouellette. And then afterwards, trying to do what you can to get Vegas to take a big contract off the books. Very rarely are you giving given a get-out-of-jail relatively free card. Um, and the Wings have one here with the opportunity to essentially bribe Vegas to take a big-name contract. I've thrown out that the Wings should do that for Darren Helm or Justin Abdelkader. My pick would be Darren Helm, uh, given that I think he's the most palatable to um, Vegas in terms of youth, shorter contracts, shorter AAV. That, that might be the guy that they're willing to take for a draft pick or two. Um, and then after that, it's continuing to clear cap space and building towards that 2019 free agency class, which even if only one or two of those guys hit, you run into another scenario where there's a Ryan Suter, there's a Steven Stamkos, there's a Zach Parise that you get to chase after. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, I think all of these articles had maybe broken the 150 comment barrier or at least come pretty darn close. Um, and, you know, not not to repeat an entire thread, but, you know, I, I, I agree with you when you were replying to some people about even if the even if the free agency thing doesn't happen in 2019, which is obviously I mean, you know, it makes sense. It's a good good target to shoot for you know, absolute worst case scenario at least they have a ton of cap space. You know, they have a lot of cap space. They have a lot of flexibility. Um, and right now, I mean, you know, we're, we're starting to read articles from uh, from beat writers that sound an awful lot like uh, what we've been writing at, at our site for quite a while now. Um, you know, talking about how we don't really have a lot of flexibility. We don't really have, you know, we have these bad contracts. Um so hopefully, you know, we can do that going forward. But JJ, how about you? So what do you think uh what do you think is the biggest thing that we need to do this offseason and what's the biggest like mistake that could happen? Like you know, the mo- the most reasonable thing that could happen that would be a mistake. I would say the uh the biggest mistake that they could do is going out and trying to make a free agent signing and honestly, I'm so against the concept of the Red Wings signing a free agent. Um that's even meaningful that I kind of haven't paid attention to who's even out there. So I I don't know what's the most reasonable thing. I guess what I could say is, um, and I'm less worried about this than I, than I was earlier, but going out and giving, uh, Thomas Vanek, like a five year deal, I could see reasonably happening Mm -hmm. and being a really bad idea for them. So uh, honestly, it's, it's just, they need to, to stay that they, they were a bubble team going into this season that played like a basement team. Um, 
they need to embrace the fact that their best case next year is going to be a, a bubble team again. It's possible that they can get back into the playoffs next year, and it's possible that's not going to be a bad thing for them. Um, honestly, taking themselves out of the Andre Svechnikov sweepstakes might be might be bad because I'd really like him. But I'd I wouldn't mind if we get an opportunity for uh, Athanasiu and, and Manta and Larkin and some of the other kids that are going to get chances to play next year. Uh, get that opportunity to actually get a run because I am a firm believer in the concept of uh, even the good, the really, really good kids need experience in the playoffs. Um, it is extraordinarily hard to win. It's extraordinarily hard to uh, to teach young players how to win in the playoffs. Like you can't explain it to them. You just have to show them. Um, I think we've seen that with that's uh, Chicago went through that Pittsburgh went through that. Uh, I think whether we're going to see it in this first round or later in the playoffs, we're going to see that with Toronto. So um, just kind of stay the course, make the the few like the subtle moves that the Prashanth talked about in his articles about don't get yourself into more trouble. Essentially, you kind of have to wait out the trouble you've already gotten yourself into. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off of what JJ said, I think the the global idea people should get behind is, can you keep your team competing for a playoff spot while shaving $25 million in cap space? My argument is that if you can take this Wings team and say they're still going to be a bubble team, but I've done it by shedding $25 million in cap space, now I'm telling you that I'm one or two big signings away from being a contender versus being a bubble team or perceived bubble team and having the highest cap hit in the NHL. There's a massive difference between those two positions. All right. Uh, Prashant, uh, you said something before that, um, that, that caught my attention. Um, I was thinking earlier today of uh, like a like, uh, like a slogan or a line in politics that I do think kind of fits this, um, which is like you know don't let a crisis go to waste. You know, it's not exactly you know a crisis, um, but you know you you mentioned before that with the expansion draft coming up, we do have you know an opportunity that doesn't come along very often um, that we could you know leverage some of these extra draft picks into losing one of these contracts. So. Um, you know, not to go too far into it because uh, we're gonna, you know, have a, a a full podcast dedicated to it down the road. Um, you know, but Mike and I have been doing our expansion draft series, um, and you know, that's one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, we we think they're probably not going to do that, um, but it would be fantastic if they did. Um, I think that would be a really good opportunity. Um, so another draft that's coming up is the uh, the regular entry draft. And for the first time in quite a while, the uh, Red Wings are going to be drafting probably top 10. I don't think that I'm not sure how far we can drop, but I think it would take a, a pretty, pretty negative situation to drop us out of there. Um, so one of the one of the biggest questions uh, about the draft is, you know, do you do you draft for a position? You know, do you target a center? Do you target a defenseman or do you go for the best position available? Um, so Prashanth, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. My philosophy on how the um, wing should approach it would basically be uh, if you've got that top tier defenseman, whether that's becoming Miro Heiskanen or Timothy Logren, um, or you've got Gabe Velarde, or you've got Nico Hershire, or you've got um, Nolan Patrick, if you don't really have one of those 
three or four guys available to you. Um, and the Wings may not, given that they are drafting seventh. Um, they should, um, in my opinion, look to trade down at that point to find the best available player. Um, I do think if any of those five guys are there, though, you take them. I think the discussions on Detroit's weakness in drafting depth is potentially overstated um, from a defenseman standpoint, uh, given how well Ronick, Sariarvi, and um, Hicketts have all looked. So I do think center is probably a more a higher need. Um, so that's why I would probably put the the emphasis there so long as it's available. But really, overall, you've got to look at the wings. You say you need to add talent anywhere. And so it becomes a really difficult decision. I think it all depends on who's available at pick seven. If you've got a top guy, you take a top guy and a best player available. If you don't have a top guy, I'm trading down and looking to get into uh, a center that's potentially a little bit unheralded. Uh, yeah, so, JJ, what do you think? I I don't have an argument against that. I I consistently always want to take best player available. Uh, I think, uh, I, but it, it's weird consideration because we're not used to having a place where you drafting for need is going to potentially get you a guy who's actually ready to step in immediately. So, cause I'm generally draft against drafting for need, uh, you know, anywhere 20th or later, because you're not going to see that guy for a few years and needs change, uh, overnight with, uh, you know, surprise Brian Rafalski retirements and, and things of that nature. So, um, you want to get the guy who's going to give you the most value. And while I don't have a lot of faith in Ken Holland to uh, utilize draft pick value as well as he maybe could have, um, like, like Prashant said, if you don't have a guy who's going to make that immediate impact, um, then even trading down on the pick can get you maximum value for that. And that's what I want. Uh, I don't necessarily want a guy who, because based on where we're drafting, you're not like you're not getting a, a franchise guy. You're gonna you're you got a really good chance of getting a really good player, and if you can, it's not like we're not gonna need another really good center. It's not like we're not gonna need a really good winger up uh, down the line. Although this draft is is mostly center heavy, so that's that's what you're gonna get if if you're going for best player available. If they don't end up taking an offenseman, I'm. I'm not heartbroken over that. Yeah. And, um, you know, you were, t- you were mentioning, uh, having, uh, well, either having or not having, uh, confidence in Ken Holland, um, which is, which has definitely been a topic, uh, of conversation. I was going to say recently, but, um, pretty much perennially, uh, for, for Red Wings fans, um, you know, this year with, uh, with his moves last summer, um, you know, contracts he signed, et cetera. Um, you know, so Pretty much all year, people have been critical. Um, I think for you know for good reason, uh, at least most of the time. Um, but we have you know this is a this is a time where the Red Wings you know are in a position they haven't been in quite a while. You know, out of the playoffs, um, you know it, the the band aid approach isn't going to work, um, and people are s- starting to realize that some more slowly than others. Um, and a lot of fans in the the last few weeks have been a little a little worried, uh, to put it mildly, um, about some comments that uh, that Ken Holland made uh, at the end of the year 
Um, and on the one hand, you know, some of these things kind of strike me as, you know, your standard things that a general manager is going to say, you know, most of the time they're not going to come out and be like, well, we're going to suck for a while. Um, you know, so I think there was some of that, you know, like in some of that, um, kind of what, what else do you expect him to say? Um, but you know, there were some things that I think were, you know, a little bit worrying if, if he believes them. Um, so what do you what do you guys think? Do you I mean I know we talked about this before, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. Um, you know, he has one year left on his contract. Um, you know, do you think he's gonna want to try to stick around and do this, or do you think he's just gonna, you know, do what he can this year and then um, you know, move on uh after his contract's up? Um uh, JJ, I guess I'll go to you first. I went to Prashant last time. Yeah, it's my turn. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think the Wings are going to fire Ken Holland, but if we get near the trade deadline and he doesn't have an extension, then that's going to tell us everything we need to know. Um, and he's going to get the promotion into the front office to do other president of hockey operations or, or stuff like that, where he's not actually the man, the, the guy manning the phone um, day to day. So I don't think that replacing him right now is necessary. I think that we do need to get to, uh, I'm essentially willing to give him one more year and that's it. Cause next year is going to be a transition year, regardless of whether or not Ken Holland wants to admit that it really should be a transition year. The whole concept of, they really need to, to tear it all down to rebuild. I don't think is, is, necessarily true and I don't want don't think that we need to either have Ken Holland trying to tear it all down in one year or we need to replace Ken Holland right now to get another guy to tear it down because uh, you get into a really weird consideration trying to get a brand new GM in charge of uh, the the teardown portion of a full rebuild and I I don't want that to happen so I'd, I'd rather get them to the the promising pieces in place, which I think that we're very close to, uh, and I think we're going to get even closer to this year, and then let Ken Holland ascend into um, the background Jimmy Devolano spot, where he's still around, and we can still, um, you know, talk about the good old days where where Ken Holland, you know, put together the the two thousand seven oh eight team. Uh, and it's going to be somebody else's responsibility of, of taking on on the hard work. Yeah, uh, it, I, I I don't really see much to disagree with there. Um, especially, you know, the part about uh, you know you don't want to bring in somebody to uh, you know to basically tear things down. That doesn't really seem like a you know good good way to get somebody on board. Uh, Prashant, uh, do, do you uh, do you disagree, or do you have any other any other ideas? No, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with what JJ's saying. Um, you know, you can give Ken Holland that one year. I don't think he gets fired. I think his tenure at uh, with the Red Wings at least buys him that level of respect to where he doesn't get fired, um, despite the fact that a number of other high-profile GMs have been fired. I, I agree. I mean, the next step, regardless of who's in charge, is a teardown. Um, yes, Ken Holland is saying he's not interested in it, but I think it'll be very telling um, from the organization, like JJ mentioned, if he receives an extension or not. My hope is he doesn't. 
my hope has always been, and I've said this going back to the middle of last season, that I hope he steps away at the end of this year and, like JJ says, moves into a higher role. And you bring someone in who can help facilitate a true teardown. And again, it doesn't have to be a dramatic teardown. The way I outlined it in my plan was allowing contracts to expire, using one buyout on Jonathan Erickson, using the expansion draft to get rid of a player that way, and then just continuing to work your way through players um, and learning when to pass on the right young guys. Uh, I think if you do all of that, you still find a way to create $25 million in cap space um, and potentially even more depending on how long-term injured reserve goes. So I don't think it requires you know, to the same degree uh, that we're all thinking, but I don't think Ken Holland's the right guy for it. So I'm just hoping he steps aside, but I'll give him one more year. Yeah. I mean, definitely sounds fair to me. Um, all right. The, the last Red Wings topic before we move on to a little bit of around the league stuff. Um, a couple days ago, let me see. This was April night, April 18th. So two days ago, um, we had an article that was actually a fan post um, about uh, comments that Franz Nielsen made uh, during the locker cleanout day. Um, I'm going to read a couple of these just real quick in case any of our listeners have not uh, heard these. Um, and then I know, um, Prashanth, I know you uh, were pretty vocal on Twitter about this. So I'll let you go first on this one. Um, but yeah, so here's, here's the comments uh, that were quoted in the article. Um, so the first one was, we just got to uh, bring a little more mean attitude and play harder and do it a little more simple sometimes. Uh, the second one... Um, I know they always had a tradition of playing a lot of nice hockey here with skill guys, but I think we got to learn how to play the other side of it too. Um, it's a tough league and you have to play, pay the price every night. You can't skill your way through this league today. It's too hard. Uh, and the last one, um, every time we get the puck down in their end, heed, and this uh, this is uh, like the reporter had, had been talking about Steve Ott, uh, so that's the heed reference here, uh, finish checks on their D, Nielsen said. At some point, they're going to be tired of that, and they're going to back off, and that's going to give our skill guys a little more room. Uh, they're going to give up that last four or five feet at the blue line, and you can come in and get guys coming in late. All right, so uh, like I said, Prashant, I know you had some ideas about this. So what did you what did you think of these comments? Yeah, uh, frankly, I don't know what the heck he means by you can't skill your way through this league today. Um, if you look at the teams in the playoffs right now, they seem pretty skilled to me. And they seem a hell of a lot more skilled than the current Red Wings team. And they seem a hell of a lot more skilled than all the teams not playing in the playoffs. Um, and then when you're particularly when he picks up the tradition, they have a tradition of playing nice hockey here with skill guys. Yeah. And that tradition led to 25 consecutive playoff berths and four Stanley cups. So it clearly worked. So I, I, I don't really follow his logic for why he would want to deviate from that. Um, you know, especially looking at recent cup winners, um, you know, even Los Angeles, potentially the team that plays, um, the grittiest, if you will, uh, they were an immensely skilled team with guys like Kopitar, Dowdy, Justin Williams, and what, and, and, and so on and so forth. So it, it's just a, it's a dumb comment. We don't need more Steve Otts. You need more top-tier talent. You have a lot of average and below-average players. Um, there's been a couple of discrep- uh, charts illustrating the discrepancy between the wing's top six and bottom six, and that's really what it is. You just don't have enough high-end elite talent to compete in this league. So that's what the Wings need to focus on bringing in, not more Steve Otts. Uh, yeah, JJ, did you uh, did you have a different take on this? 
the Steve comparison is the the part where this really falls apart because on, on a conceptual level you can see where he comes from and there's there's a lot of good conversation in the the fan post about this about uh, what it really means and and kind of the um, maybe the the politics behind Nielsen trying to say this. I mean, he did get signed for a, a long deal, and he just came from the Islanders. And obvious, honestly, it's it's something that that Blashill has talked about too. So I think there definitely is a portion of him trying to be the the good soldier. Um, and it's not untrue that the Red Wings do need to be tougher to play against, and that it wasn't necessarily because I, I don't disagree. The team was not skilled enough. Um, and that really hurt them. But the skilled guys on the team, and honestly, I feel more let down by the tough guys on the team, which does kind of play into this. Um, you know, the whole concept of, of making room, of uh, of hitting guys a little bit harder. And the, the problem is that you bring Steve Ott into it as the paragon of, you know, tough, hard-nosed hockey when... You can see Steve Ott sucks. I mean, he does that one thing very well. And if better players did that, did that thing that Steve Ott does well, as well as the other things that Steve Ott doesn't do well, like the rest of hockey, um, <laughs> outside of faceoffs, because he's good at faceoffs yeah. too. We can't forget that. Yeah. Um, and taking Locker a second penalty while you're yeah taking a, a second penalty while your team is already shorthanded. He's good at that. Um, you know, uh, chasing down defensemen, knowing the the right angle and speed at which to um, pressure on the forecheck is something that I think the Red Wings did not have a lot of. There were a lot of times where you'd see a guy, you'd see Riley Shan um, or Justin Ablocator, uh, or even the you know the the terrible soft Euros, not take the right angle on something or try to go a little bit ole with the stick. And if they missed cutting off, because you want to, you know, cut between the player and the puck, you cut off the stick, and that's how you get the puck away. But you'd get, as you'd see it a lot of times during the season where the, the Red Wings would try to do that. And if you miss doing that, then you need to make contact with the player. And there are a lot of times where that didn't happen. You either get, you either separate the player from the puck and end up with the puck, or you separate the player from the puck. But if you don't do either of those things, then that is really bad. And there were a lot of really bad times. So it's, it's not like Nielsen was entirely wrong. It's just the way that the way that he said it, the way that he used Steve Ott as the example, just, I don't know, it, it missed on a lot of points for me. It's, it, and it was funny to me because uh, earlier Thomas Yurko said that, you know, his problem with the Red Wings was that essentially he was they were playing too simple. Um, that there wasn't enough skill and creativity. And the, the fact of the matter is that both Yurko's and Nielsen's comments, which kind of run counter to one another, are both defensible. And that was a big problem with the Red Wings. It's, they did not have enough skill, but they also did not have enough, and I hate to, I hate to use the word grit because it's become such a loaded word anymore um, that, that people use sarcastically anymore. Yeah. But they they weren't hard enough to play against. The skill guys did not have that room that can be created by plays 
that are that use a different skill set than dangling. Yeah, I mean, to kind of elaborate on what you're going for, JJ, I think what it is is when you're talking about players being harder to play against, it's they do an excellent job of taking away time and space from the opponents. And there are two ways to do that. One is to literally be on top of them, physically hitting them, a la Steve Ott. However, we've seen that that's not necessarily the most effective way. Or the second is a player like Datsuk, who you didn't have this year, but when he was on the ice, you were afraid to make moves against him. You were more likely to chip the puck out against him. You were more likely to not complete your passes against him because you were afraid of how he, how good he was at taking away your time and space. And so I think that kind of skill is a little bit more repeatable and better, obviously much harder to find. Um, we don't have another Pavel Datsu walking through the door right now, but I think that's what the wings were missing. You're missing guys who can play like that. Um, yeah. So the easy solution is go get a Steve Ott who just hits things, but that's not as effective. Yeah, I think um, you know the 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 Datsu uh, comparison reminds me of uh, uh, there's a, there's a quote from the uh, the great soccer defender uh, Paolo Maldini where he says, uh, if I have to make a tackle, then I've already made a mistake. You know, he basically, you know, he's talking about how, you know, if he has to do that, then he's, you know, lost position, you know. Um, and, you know, like you said, there's so many times where Datsu could just know where to be. And actually, I mean, you know, I think we saw, it, you know, not to the same level, but, you know, I noticed it a lot with Zetterberg this year um, where, you know, a young player on the other team had the puck and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Zetterberg comes up from behind him, lifts his stick and takes it away. Um you know, so, you know, the alternative to, to you know, physical play and, and, and I, obviously not to say that, you know, there should be no physical play. Um, but, you know, like, like the other way to, to get the get the puck away is is through skill. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. Yeah, what you know, I worry about in that consideration mm-hmm. is more of what cost Anthony Mantha the end of the season is mm-hmm. that they're going to confuse the concept of being hard to play against with the concept of I'm just going to wildly throw punches at you because that's I don't mind Anthony Manta fighting I don't want him going looking for them I don't want him to be easy to go into them I don't want him to feel like he's got to live up to the code because he maybe threw a punch that he shouldn't have thrown uh, at a guy that he was legitimately angry with for taking a, ru- a late run um, at Dylan Larkin, because that's what like he felt like he had to take that fight because of the code, mm. and he ended up breaking a, a breaking his damn hand for it. And that's that's not what I want out of these guys being tougher to play against. I don't mind Anthony Manta having a little bit of sandpaper to his game. Uh, I don't mind Dylan Larkin like mixing it up after the whistles a little bit, but the rest of the league is. Really, really. I mean, there's more successful Steve Otts at doing that than there are you know, Anthony Mantha's at you know using that anger productively. So, um, be tougher when it matters, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was definitely a, a, a horrible way to see the season end for Mantha. Um, uh, I know a lot of us were uh, were really upset about um, not getting to watch him at the end of the year, and especially. You know, like you said, for, um, you know, something that, that was definitely avoidable. Um, 
All right, so we're going to move on to uh, to you know a couple around the league topics. Um, so we mentioned before it's the first year in a long time that the uh, the Red Wings aren't in the playoffs. Um, so the playoffs seem to matter either a little less or a lot less or entirely less. But um, we have eight series. Um, a couple of them are actually over already. Um, so first of all, let's see. Um, fantastic news: Nashville four, Chicago one. Uh, and that completes the sweep. So the Blackhawks are out. Um, the Minnesota Wild are hanging on. They were down 3-0. They are now 3-1 with uh, St. Louis. Uh, Anaheim swept Calgary. And the Sharks and Oilers are knotted at 2. They're playing tonight. And as of right now, it is 1-1 in the first period. So that's the West. In the East, we have uh, the Rangers uh, won tonight in overtime 3-2. So they're up 3-2 in that series. Um for me, the most surprising one has been uh, Boston and Ottawa. Ottawa is up 3-1 with a chance to close it out tomorrow night at home. Um, the Capitals are in a series that's a little bit harder than most people thought against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. They are 2-2. Uh, they're playing tomorrow night. And the Pittsburgh Penguins have eliminated the Blue Jackets uh, tonight 5-2. So they won that series 4-1. to um, So let me ask you, let's see, let's go to JJ first. Um, what do you think is the biggest surprise so far of all the series? I mean, if I'm not saying the Blackhawks getting swept, I'm lying. <laughs> yeah, fantastic surprise. I, I was I, I I picked Nashville, but um, I didn't think it would be in four. I think I picked either six or seven. Because, uh, but yeah, um, Prashant, what about you? Same thing, or you got yeah, a different one? The the massive shock has to be. Nashville sweeping Chicago. I think for me, at least, this series was more of a coin flip than most had made it out to be. Um, mm. But I still pick Chicago to win the series because, you know, I, I still felt though it never would I have imagined Nashville actually coming and then just obliterating the Blackhawks. Blackhawks scored two goals. We yeah. never heard Chelsea Dagger. It was great. They got shut out both <laughs> times in Chicago. It was wonderful. Ah. Uh. And then making it even better was their playoff slogan, one goal, uh, which was hilarious. Uh, for what was it, the first two games they didn't score a goal? They didn't score the first two games, so. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Twitter had a lot of fun with that, and that was uh, fantastic to read. Um, let's see. So, obviously, we're cheating a little bit. We were going to record this last week, so it would have been a little bit more uh, prognosticate But, um so who do you guys think uh, is going to be playing in the final, and who do you think is taking it all? Prashant, you go first. Well, seeing as JJ and I have touched on this and, <laughs> and figured out that we have the same finals matchup, uh, before the playoffs started, I had Washington over Minnesota. Minnesota's kind of in a precarious position down 3-1, although you know we have seen more recently a couple of comebacks from 3-0 down so i'm not necessarily crossing out minnesota but if minnesota's not going to be there then nashville's my pick to come out of the west i don't really believe in anaheim i don't believe in st louis uh if they beat minnesota so i'm I'm a big fan of uh nashville coming to the finals and i would absolutely love a predators capitals finals i think that would be so much fun to watch yeah so uh so uh, jj you had the same yeah, and I'm yeah. like currently kind of salivating over the concept because it was looking 
into the playoffs, it looked like there was a really decent possibility that we could end up with like the nightmare finals scenario, which would have been uh, Chicago versus Pittsburgh. Oh God. Yeah. Um, whoever wins, we lose. Yeah. But if it ends up being like Nashville, Washington, that's gotta be like the least, that has to be the least hated final since (laughs) the wings, like since the wings were actually in the final, like, the easiest one to like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to enjoy and let's just watch, let's just watch this series. I mean, obviously I will be rooting for Washington because of, because of Obi and whatnot, but if, if Subban wins the cup immediately after getting traded out of Montreal, that's, that's also too delicious. Uh, oh, I mean, man. obviously we're, we're still a long way away from that possibility and, and Pittsburgh is very much alive to uh, to get that. Uh, the Capitals are struggling against the Leafs in the first round, and we're still not sure if they're going to like what the what the truth of that whole series is. Like, is Washington just not wake, woken up yet? Like, was their last win that wake up win where they're finally going to like take on the mantle of this obviously dominating good? team that really ought to come out of the east um are the leafs better than than we want to give them credit for uh is it just this is what this is what you get in a parody league anyway i i don't know the the series of that i still think washington pulls that series off but uh having to face off against pittsburgh in the next round with pittsburgh getting more rest than uh you know significantly more rest it's it's going to be tougher for them, and then uh, Rangers are are they have the the Canadians on the brink. That would be hilarious. I don't care about the Rangers outside of Brendan Smith. Uh, I want to see Ottawa beat beat Boston because fuck Boston. But <laughs> yeah, and then everything in the Pacific, like everything out west, I'm just having so much trouble caring about. Like I'm yeah. bummed the Ducks swept Calgary. Yeah, I. I, I... I, I I don't think I could have gone as far as to pick Calgary to win that series, but I thought it was I thought it was going to go six. Um, I thought Calgary was going to put up a lot more of a fight there. Um, the 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 craziest series out there has to be the uh, the Oilers and the Sharks. Um, you know, because you know the first few games are close, and all of a sudden uh, San Jose wins. I think seven zero last game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I'm trying to think for the brackets we did. I had I had Washington coming out of the East and all of them, and I think I alternated. I did two different versions. I did one with Nashville and one with San Jose. Um, so I at least have one of those teams through. Um, I just know I do. I after this first round, you know, obviously I don't want Boston to win, but I really, I just, I just don't want Ottawa to keep playing. Cause like, it's just so boring. You know, that's like an entire series that I just have no interest in watching. Cause I know it's going to be incredibly boring, especially if Ottawa gets up, you know, by a goal, they're just going to trap it up. Um, the, uh, the penguins, I, I thought the penguins were going to have more trouble with, with Columbus, um, you know, losing Latang. Uh, and then Flurry, as we all know, can be uh, can be really good in the playoffs. He can entirely blow games by himself in the playoffs. Uh, so I thought I, I thought that was going to be closer. Um, 
And then, like you said, the uh, the Washington uh, Toronto series, I think, is going to be really interesting um, because, you know, basically going into this, I was thinking if if the Capitals don't win it this year, you know, I don't I don't think they're ever going to win it with, you know, with the group they have now. Uh, you know, everything seemed to break their way. You know, Latang being out, you know, makes Pittsburgh weaker, et cetera. But um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, tomorrow night uh, with that game five out there. Uh Let's see. A uh, couple more, couple more around the league things before the mailbag. Um, I'm definitely not going to remember all these because there's they've been coming pretty fast and furious. But we've had a lot of GMs get fired. We've had a lot of coaches get fired uh, today. Buffalo seemingly fired their entire organization um, except for Jack Eichel. Uh, they got rid of their GM. They got rid of their coach. Um, other people were, were let go from the organization as well. Um, let's see. Lindy Ruff is out in Dallas. Hitchcock's already replaced him. Uh, in L.A., they fired Lombardi and Sutter. Um, so I guess let me, just, let me just ask this. Does any of this matter for Detroit? Are there any, you know, does, that, does this change anything for Holland and Blaschel's job security? Um, I guess, does it or should it? Uh, Prashanth, what do you think? I think from a does it perspective, no. I think Chris Illich has already said Ken Holland's coming back. Ken Holland's already said Jeff Blaschel's coming back. Uh, I don't think any of this changes uh, what the Wings will do. Uh, should it? I am very intrigued by the possibility of bringing Daryl Sutter in. Um, he's been a sensational coach out in L.A. And from my perspective... I would attribute almost 75% of the Kings' success really to him. I don't give a lot of credit to Dean Lombardi. I also don't care for um, Dean Lombardi. But, I mean, Sutter um, has had a lot of success in a lot of, with a lot of different organizations. I mean, you know, he took the Blackhawks to the conference finals. He took the Sharks to the conference semis. He took the Calgary Flames to the Stanley Cup finals. And then he won a couple cups with L.A. So the guys had success with a number of different teams. And I, I would be very intrigued to see him with Detroit. And I think he's really the only guy out there that represents a definitive upgrade on Jeff Blaschel. Albeit, I can't really quantify how great an upgrade it is. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, he's the only one for me that I would be interested at all. And uh, JJ, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I, I totally agree with that concept. I think that's uh, the other benefit of Sutter is that I think that he's the only available coach who has the kind of pull to essentially drastically change the identity of the team. Um, if there's any kind of player pushback, like Jeff Blashill calling out Andreas Athanasiu for not being an everyday or gets a lot of fair criticism, and it, it should. Um, if Sutter does that, then I don't know necessarily the, that the fans are that angry about that because it is it's very much a his way, and it's very much a he's been around long enough where he's got the ability to have it be his way. And I think that would 
potentially be very beneficial to the to a team that has lacked an identity under Jeff Blashill. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's he he he's the only one for me. Um, and I don't, you know, uh, you know, the the biggest thing we t- we talked about is you know if if we're going to get rid of Blashill, you know, you need to have somebody better to step in. You know, and it seems like that now that could be could be possible. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think I think Blashill gets another year, um, for better or for worse. Um, I think I you know I, I think he's going to start the year as as Detroit's coach. Um, all right, one last around the league topic uh, because um, you know this just came out today, and I thought it was a really interesting, uh, really interesting article, really interesting development. Um, the let's see, let me pull up his name. Don Henderson, he's the NHL linesman that was injured by Dennis Weidman. Um, is suing him for $10.25 million. Um, and there's lots of interesting details in this. Um, if you forget this, uh, you can pull up the clip online. Um, basically, uh, Weidman was hit uh, before the play, and he gets up, and he is skating back to the bench. And in my opinion, he definitely seemed to went out of, you know, go out of his way to hit Henderson. Um, I, at the time, and I still don't, I, I personally didn't buy um, – any of the excuses I thought it was it seemed to me to be a hundred percent deliberate um and I thought he should have had at least the twenty game suspension he had um but um so he is he is uh, suing for ten million dollars in lost revenue future revenue and future earning capacity um there's a long list of things that he is uh claiming and uh what I thought was a really interesting development here is that the Alberta government is uh, getting involved. Uh, according to a tweet from Rick Westhead, the Alberta government wants Weidman and Flames to cover costs of uh, Henderson's dental surgery or uh, optometric mental health chiropractic podiatrist services. Um, so this this seems like it could be a pretty big deal. I mean, I, I can't imagine it not being a pretty big deal. Um so JJ, I know you you know a lot about the the CBA and about the um, uh, you know we were talking before about how maybe how this might work, why he is doing this the way he is. So so what are your what are your thoughts? Obviously, knowing that we don't know a ton right now because it just came out today. Um, honestly, I'm extremely fascinated by this because there's kind of um, not really precedent for this, and there's not a CBA consideration for this. Like if uh, he had decided to, to sue the league, then as somebody covered by the NHL officials association, the CBA between them and the league would have ruled. If this had been a case of a player uh, trying to sue the league, that would be a case of the, the NHL CBA with the NHL PA taking precedent here, but there's no CBA between the NHL Officials Association and the NHL Players Association. So there's kind of, there's so much precedent to be set by what's going on here that I don't have any good read (laughs) on what exactly is going to happen. Like, I kind of haven't been able to really form an opinion on what I think should happen. Mm -hmm. Um, The concept where Alberta is getting in on the lawsuit is basically a concept of Canada's universal health care, and somebody does have to pay for this guy's treatment, and Dennis mm-hmm. Whiteman is the one who did it. So 
I have no clue what's going to come out of this, but I am going to be paying rapt attention to what, like, to even what they consider as where this is going to play out and um, what the judges in the in the case uh, have to say, and like even what the lawyers' arguments are, uh, because it makes total sense, but. Because, like, essentially, if Dennis Weidman had attacked this guy on the street, not in his Calgary Flames uniform, just sees a guy walking up and decides to plant him in the back, that is a criminal act with civil liability um, and would be covered entirely by this. And the reason that it wasn't, like, the, basically the reason that Weidman didn't go to jail for doing this during a game is because the authorities essentially say, well, this the sport itself has things in place to prevent this and to punish it. And that's what we saw in the entire Weidman situation. And so that kind of takes it away from like, I mean, you still can go after him criminally, but they just don't bother because they figure that the crime and punishment is, is already taken care of in house. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's basically no, existing coverage for the civil portion of, of what happened there. So this is essentially his only recourse. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to think like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the last time I remember, you know, uh, authorities being involved was the Bertuzzi Moore thing. Um, I'm trying to remember if it's happened more recently than that. Uh, in junior hockey, but yeah, the last time that there was even discussion about, actual authorities getting involved in an on-ice incident was when a bunch of Canadians fans called the cops on Zidane Chara for the Pacioretty hit. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But, hmm. yeah, they basically said that that's stopped calling us. Yeah. Uh, yeah Prashant, uh, like I said, I know it's early, but, uh, you know, what's your initial reaction to this? It's, yeah, like, JJ's kind of touched on a lot of the big points. It's really a fascinating lawsuit and we'll get to see what precedent is and i'm i'm curious if this makes it to trial or if this gets settled um outside but if this really does make it to trial i i'm just i would find it hard for dennis wadman to win this um you know i know what the arbitrator ruled and that it, you know there's it was an unintentional act by wadman um, but I think you do have some compelling evidence that works against him. Like he sent those text messages saying the only reason I'm in this position is the stupid refs and the stupid media. Yeah. Um, Not like the smartest thing to do. like that. Uh, it's kind of, kind of different when you're looking at it from a lawsuit perspective. So I don't know. I'm just fascinated by it. I mean, it would be nearly 25% of what Weidman's made in his career. So, um, could be just a devastating blow to him but at the same time you're looking at a guy who has severe neck damage facial damage concussions uh, mental health issues now as a result of his hit he's no longer able to work so i'll be very closely following this yeah um you know i mean my initial reaction is i i completely understand why he's doing that um you know like i said uh when the when the the incident happened um, you know, my initial reaction was that, um, you know, it's a hundred percent intentional. I haven't seen, seen any, anything to change my mind about that. 
Um, so yeah, and it, it'll be interesting as kind of part of this bigger, um, you know, uh, situation regarding concussions and, you know, the Department of Player Safety and, you know, what they're doing to prevent, you know, obviously I know this was an official and not another player, you know, but it's all tied into the same idea of, you know, what is the league doing to prevent things, uh, you know, preventable injuries, um, you know, last, uh, was it last night, the night before, uh, I guess a couple nights ago, you know, we saw Zach Wierenski, you know, take a shot in the face. It turned out he had facial fractures. And the only reason he didn't play in overtime was he, he, he literally couldn't see out of his eye. Um, you know, certainly seems like a, a situation that, that, you know, you could be putting, you know, putting his health in danger to come back, you know, for, for a game, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what plays out um, with this lawsuit. Um, it'll be interesting to watch and and uh, and see the outcome of this. Um, all right. So before our our mailbag section, we have one quick section that is one of our favorite parts, which is positivity corner. All right, JJ, you're always positive. What do you got? I am positive that I am kind of weirdly enjoying playoff hockey without the Red Wings. Um, because of, like, I, I would still would, I think I would have rather made the playoffs anyway, but like, there's not this pressure. Like I am feeling more enjoyment and just watching, uh, especially like there are some new, newer fan bases to the playoffs that are kind of learning how the playoffs work and how like, yes, people are going to be mean to you for no reason <laughs> and you need to toughen up and deal with that and i'm just having a lot of fun watching uh as as an outsider just how crazy the playoffs makes fans and how unapologetic it makes me for how i have ever acted in playoff years past or how <laughs> i will act in playoff years future it, it's fun <laughs> and i agree uh prashant what do you got um i think after the way the year ended I think probably what I'm most excited about are um, some of the Wings defensemen that are coming up. And particularly my favorite thing in the world is this Jacob Chikrin thing. And everybody wants to go, oh, look at Dennis Chalowski. We gave up Jacob Chikrin for it. But the other side of the coin is the Wings actually got another pick in that deal. And that pick was Philip Bronick who was sensational this past year. Um, so I'm not completely, you know, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to say that I love Philip Ronick, and I will be willing to bet that he can be just as big of an impact player as Jacob Chikrin. Where are you? So you're saying Jacob Chikrin is not a first ballot Hall of Famer? I'm saying Jacob Chikrin is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, man, there's, there's some people who might disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> I know there certainly are, but I'm going to say that Philip Lonick and Dennis Jolowski is not a bad return for that first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, and, and if, if they're listening, uh, that's going to be at least 75% of the comments for this episode. Um, so uh, for me, let's see, positivity. Um, we we recently uh, set up the schedule for the player grades, which is, which is not in and of itself my positive thing. Um, but it made me think that the first official thing I wrote for winging it in Motown was a, um, player grade post. Um, I think it was Shan, I think, 
because I know I did a couple of them. I think it was Riley Shan. Um, and so, you know, kind of, I don't know if it's official, but it's kind of like my unofficial one year anniversary of, uh, you know, being a part of the team. And it's, it's been a really great year. Um, definitely. It's a different way to, uh, to watch hockey, you know, now that I'm, I have to actually write about it and remember things and, you know, be able to talk about, you know, specific things. Um, so I, I had a lot of fun, obviously getting to know everybody and, uh, you know, meet in person this year, get to see a couple games at Joe Lewis arena. Um, and you know, right now it'd be doing this podcast. So it really good year. I'm looking forward to next year. Hopefully it's a little more fun, uh, in terms of the, you know, the on ice performance, even if we're not winning, hopefully it's entertaining. All right. And now it's time for our favorite segment this time and every time our reader questions. So as always, we're going to have JJ go through our reader mailbag and pick out the best questions and we are going to answer them. All right. So JJ, take it away. Yeah, let's rock and roll. We had some good questions uh, last week that uh, obviously for reasons uh, beyond our control, we weren't able to do that episode. So we just, uh, we just move forward with those questions. And uh, there's a good number of these that we, that we've already touched on, so we'll 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 play it by ear as we go. Uh, the very first one is is really interesting. The tromboner will asks uh, future of the defense. Who you got? This season had almost no consistency to the defense core until the last twenty games or so due to injuries, trades, waivers. Uh, if we accept Green, Erickson, DeKaiser, and Willette coming back as the top four next year, and a confounding number five would place twenty minutes in a power play spot for Cronwall, who has a serious NHL career ahead of them among the remainder before uh, the Hicketts, Ronek, Chalowski, and Sari RV group is ready uh, between Jensen, Renouf, Russo, Sproul, and Lashoff. Because essentially we still need one more, or maybe even two more defensemen in the short run uh, while we're waiting on, on that crop to, to rise. So who do we got there? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I do like what I've seen out of Jensen so far. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't think he's going to, you know, be a, a top defenseman. But, I mean, could he have a, a pretty decent career as, like, a, a good bottom pair guy? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, I say out of all of those, he's been the one that's been most impressive at the NHL for me. But even then, like I said, he hasn't been, you know, blowing me away. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, you know, I think out of the ones you named, Jensen, I have the highest hopes for Xavier Wet. I'm not sure if he was in the ones you named, um, but I think he's probably the best of the current bunch, um, followed somewhat closely by Nick Jensen. I think Ouellette at 23 has demonstrated he's at he has the ability to. Uh, kind of play at a lower end top four defenseman. I think Jensen is probably at an upper end fifth defenseman. Um, so he's right around that, that area. I think if you get one of those guys to really develop and the bet would be on Ouellette being 23, as opposed to uh, Jensen being 26, then I think you have the potential, even if one or two of the next wave pans out to have a solid foundation for your defensive group. Yeah, he actually mentioned Willett as uh, part of that top four. So that was, okay. I think, uh, Trombone or Will was probably in agreement with you. Um, but you you hate Robbie Russo, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Rep- so I'm not even going to acknowledge, so. 
I, I agree with both of you. That I think uh, Jensen's got kind of the ability to hold that spot while we wait for other guys to kind of kick him out of it. Um, from a, a need standpoint, I'm not sure how committed I am to this plan, but I would kind of like to see them salvage what they can out of Ryan Sproul to see, because he's still got the the OHL Defenseman of the Year win and that size and that booming slapper that uh, if you can get him onto a hot streak that's just long enough, uh, I mean, it's possible because he's not, the guy's not ancient. He's, uh, he's well, let's age, isn't he? Um, yeah, slightly older. He's 24, but. Yeah, so like he can still find his way back into consistency. I don't think he's going to become great. Like, I don't think he's going to, like, find his game like Zidane Otara did. Um, but most likely what you can see happen is see if you can get, um, you know, get him off to a, a promising streak and then sell him off as as best you can because somewhere out there a GM is, gonna, is always going to be in love with uh, the good Canadian uh, tall defensive boy. So, and that's, that's sprawl to a T. Mm-hmm. So, okay. All James says, do we protect Shan now that he's on a hot streak? <laughs> uh, no, none of us are showing that. No. The more serious question than that, yeah. than that question is every analysis I've seen about projections on which players the wings will protect. Cronwall is on the list. Is this due to some contract issue that forces him to be protected, or is there something more stupid going on? Well, I will answer. There is nothing oh. <laughs> literally requiring it. But go ahead. You're the. I, w- I was going to say all James has has clearly not read the Winging It in Motown uh, Detroit expansion protection list because he is not on it because that would be insane. I have yeah. nothing to contribute. The only thing more <laughs> insane would be protecting Robbie Russo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that you need to protect Cronwall, uh, even in the consideration of, uh, you know, the would it be disrespectful to not protect him? Who cares? Yeah. I think that, that Cronwall knows what's up by now, um, so it is what it is. Uh, Tromboner will again. How good would Jimmy Howard have to play at the World Championships for Vegas to draft him? Are we talking USA Gold with Howard taking home MVP and top goalie? Or is that not enough because they'll obviously love Luke Glendening in a shiny new four-year, $1.8 million extension instead? I don't think the World Championship has any bearing on whether or not Vegas is going to take him. Uh, Vegas, you know, George McPhee has kind of thrown out a couple of nice blurbs to focus. One is the fact that he's willing to let himself be bribed to take certain players. The other is that he threw out the mad idea that he would just take eight or nine goaltenders because he could hoard the market and kind of sift through what he wanted to do from there. Uh, So could he be a guy on their list to take? Sure. I don't know. Um, I think it's still unlikely. And I think if you're talking about Detroit and based on what, you know, Peter and Mike have worked on, it, it still makes sense that Riley Shahan is probably the guy that gets taken. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 I'm really glad that you said that uh, that eight goalie quote because I, I, could, I was driving myself crazy trying to remember what the number was. Um, I think we figured out um, that 
the most they could take is seven because I think they have to take 14 forwards. I think they have to take nine defensemen, which is 23. And then that leaves them seven players. So I think the most they could take is seven uh, goalies, at least in the draft portion, you know, like the 30, um, you know, the 30, 30 picks or whatever you want to call it. That could also uh, include if they sign somebody who is an unrestricted free agent. Um, I think they can do like 10 of those. Um Sure. I mean, they could definitely take them. Um, I, and, and like you said, I think it, it completely depends on what their plan is. If they're they're going for a lot of goalies and they really do want to do that, then I think he's somebody who they could they could take and then kind of, like you said, try to corner the market. Um, if they're not trying to do that, I do think they're going to have better options available. Um, my guess is that they're going to take you know, uh, you know, one of the one of the top starting goalies, you know, somebody that's going to be making about, you know, five, six million a year. And then my guess is, I mean, there's a lot of other um, kind of like number two with potential to be number one, but still early enough in their career that they could probably get them pretty cheap. Um, that would be my guess is what they'll do, you know, rather than, you know, take two or three top money goalies. I don't I don't really see them doing that. Um, but then again, the hardest thing with this expansion thing is, is, is there's so much we don't know. Um, and we really don't know what their plan is going to be. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good answer. Uh, Anthony Larkinessiu. <laughs> sure. uh, we seem to have some middling prospects who are in a limbo due to the logjam and being passed by on the depth chart. Uh, I know Chance to answer from his three-part plan, but what do you guys think of the future of uh, Bertuzzi, Russo, Renouf, Nosek, etc.? Would it be worth keeping some of them around while Holmstrom, Ronex, RERV, and Smith develop further? Hmm. What do you think, You want to knock this one out first? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of detailed. I think Nosek is reasonable to keep around through next year, potentially a little bit longer. I think Bertuzzi is probably the toughest of all the Wings players to project. Um, given that, you know, with his size, he is very, he's not a very big guy. He's not a guy that also impressed all that much in his limited role with the wings this year, but at the AHL level, um, he did excel this past year. He was in the top 20 in um, forwards and estimated primary points for 60 minutes for those that were under the age of 22. So, I mean, he, he, he did look decent and he's continued to score i guess um i don't i don't have any issues hanging on to him but i wouldn't necessarily want to hang on to him if i had you know like a nolan patrick a nico hershire or somebody from next year's draft pushing him for that roster spot yeah i mean i i think i'd rather um you know the situation in which i'd rather have those guys around would be if it was you know between them and having you know Signing a free signing a free agent veteran or something like that. Um, you know, I'd rather have have them on the team to see, you know, see what they have because it doesn't seem like they're going to be, you know, part of the the future uh, core or whatever. Uh, you know, obviously not core, but you know, I mean, even the supporting cast. But you know, you never know. So maybe they they get a shot, and uh, it turns out that you know they're better than we thought they they were. I mean, I'd definitely rather have them play than you know, like we said, go out and sign you know, a free agent player that we don't need. But, yeah. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. 
you keep them around while you're waiting for other guys to develop further because you got to have somebody there. You might as well take the guys you drafted who are still cheap than yeah. filling those out with free agents. Happy Pappy 96 has a fun argument with an annoying uh, Caps fan friend who says that uh, Ovechkin is better than Fedorov. Uh, I realize they play different positions, but I'd like to hear it from you guys. If you could have one of Ovi or Fedorov on your team in their primes, who do you want and why? Personally, I like to think that Sergei is the greatest Russian player of all time as far as all-around game goes and easily could have scored 20-plus more points this season than he had had he not been so committed to being such a great defensive forward. Hmm. Who wants to go after this one first? Ovi or Fedorov in their prime? I... I think I think I take I think I'd agree I think I take Fedorov because of the overall overall game. I mean it's tough because I mean obviously Ovechkin you know especially in his prime is a you know fantastic goal scorer. Um, I don't know it's it's tough. I mean like I wouldn't really be unhappy to have either you know. Yeah, I would take Ovechkin, but I don't think it's that far apart. Um, because of all the other elements that Fedorov brings to the game. But you have a legitimate argument that Alexander Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer of all time when you adjust for era. Um, and I think Fedorov can close some of that gap with his uh, defensive abilities and his ability to control the uh, neutral zone. But um, Ovechkin's goal scoring is just too much to pass up on. I think it's Fedorov in a landslide. Um, I wish that we had more of the of the advanced stats from Fedorov's true prime, um, but I think that it, it goes back to the, I, I do agree that Ovi is a is perhaps the best goal scorer of all time, and he is a better goal scorer than Sergei Fedorov was in his prime. Uh, I think in terms of creating a positive goal differential for your team. I think Fedorov is better than Ovechkin in that, and I think that's more important. Like the guy, he could have, he would have won a Norris if he had played defense all season long. He played, he he owned every portion of the ice that he played on, and I I think that's uh, more valuable. But if you gave me Ovi as a consolation prize, <laughs> I would accept that in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, let's see Holland's end of your comments we already talked about that uh, which kid has the best year next season either by sheer numbers or exceeding expectations uh, Larkin, Manta, Athanasiu fill in the blank with your own answer uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go with Larkin because I think he's going to have a bounce back here it's Mantha, and it's not going to be close. Mm. He will outscore either of those guys by at least 15 points next year. Yeah, I think we're going to be getting a lot of talk about uh, Mantha being our uh, Jamie Ben next year. Uh, that was fetching expectations that I that asked that question. I, I don't ever want to skip over that, uh, that username because I like it. Uh, Mickey Redmond's pen asked the next question. Uh, realistically, do you think there's a small chance we could get uh, Andre Svechnikov if he stays a top prospect, Kenny Holland says he wants to get back into the playoffs. 
which of course means putting together the best roster to compete, not to draft. Um, so, what do you think? Are we a decent shot to be back in the lottery next year? Yeah, I think we're a slam dunk to be back in the lottery. Um, I don't think we're going to be that far down, though. Yeah, so I think, I think yeah that's probably the problem. Chance. Okay. Uh, who's playing in Grand Rapids right now that you think will be lacing them up in Detroit? Asked Grandma Flarkin. <laughs> hmm. I would love to see Svechnikov, Hicketts, both on the team next year. Um, though you could talk me into taking Ronick over Hicketts. Um, and then Sariarvi should also be on the team in the next year or so. Um, I really think those three defensemen, as, as you find a way to clear the logjam, um, and Svechnikov, um, I think those guys should be on Grand Rapids, or should be on, in Detroit relatively soon. Yeah, and I think yeah. that uh, yeah. in the vein that we should not bring back Steve Ott, and we are not bringing back Drew Miller, but we do need fourth liners, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi fits that pretty well, too. Alex yeah. Young asks the hottest take question. <laughs> Given the last two seasons, is Dylan Larkin good? Please forgive the hot take nature of this question. It is my opinion that after his amazing first half of last season, we in Detroit overhyped his value, forgetting the fact that he was drafted as a middle 6-2A center. Also in Chance Peace, he wrote that Larkin scored less away from Zetterberg, meaning he potentially isn't a player who can independently drive play. Thoughts? (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I think, I mean, is he good? Yeah, of course he's good. I mean, um, I mean, the question obviously is how good. Uh, I mean, I, I do think there might be something to to the thing about maybe overhyping a little bit last year. Um, but I, you know, I, I think his drop off this year, you know, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, most players have a, have a tougher time their second year. Um, I think, being away from Zetterberg definitely did make a big difference. I mean, we saw this year, um, you know, just how much Zetterberg drove play of his line mates, you know, um, you know, just how good players did with him as opposed to being away from him. Um, but then also, you know, he was trying to, they were trying to have him play center. Um, you know, he was trying to take on more defensive uh, responsibilities. Um, people in the league started to, you know, you know, they pretty much knew what he was going to do. He's going to have to adapt to that. Um, you know, like I said before, I think he's going to have a bounce back year. I don't think he's going to be like a top elite, you know, top of the NHL player. Um, but I think he's going to be very good. Yeah, I mean, I think probably what the Alex Young is trying to drive at is the question of is Larkin actually elite or not. Um, because if you look at the steps taken by McDavid and Eichel, who are two guys that Larkin got compared to at the beginning of last year, you saw both those guys take dramatic steps. McDavid winning the Art Ross, Eichel being a point-per-game player. Um, Larkin's not in that category. No, and no. does that mean he's not good? No, I think he's a good player. Um, there's still a lot of things to tease out about his game. He is still 20 years old. We saw his ice time dip as the season went on. He spent a lot of time playing with kind of bottom feeder players that he wasn't typically used to. Um, he didn't get a lot of time with Zetterberg. He got you know less than 10% of his ice time this past year 
was with Zetterberg. He spent a lot of time with guys like Shane and Abdul Cater. And so, you know, I think my point holds that I, I'm skeptical that Larkin is a guy who's going to carry a line in the fashion that Zetterberg does. But does that mean he can't be a talented player like a Gustav Nyquist or a Thomas Tatar? I, I think he can absolutely be on that level. I don't think he's a Zetterberg or a Datsuk, though. Yeah, I I agree with you, although I think that there is still a tier between Zetterberg, Datsuk, and Nyquist Tatar that I think that Larkin could find his way into. Uh, but still sub elite. Like I think that he's got a he's get he's still got a really good chance of being a solid, productive second line center in the NHL. And I think that's where the expectations should be capped, not that he is going to be uh, our Jonathan Taves, although Jonathan Taves fucking sucks now, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> and that that's because the the other thing that really hurt him this year was that he's no longer the the rookie phenom that he was. the The sophomore slump hit him hard, and it's the expectations that that jumped on it. The refs stopped giving him like they stopped giving him benefit of the doubt halfway through his, his rookie season. And then you saw it even more, like he could not draw penalties. And part of that was his own fault for he couldn't keep his mouth shut about how he kept deserving penalty calls in his favor. And they just, those don't come for 20 year olds. Mm. The refs do not care. And the more you complain about it, the less they, they want to give you penalties, the more they're likely to call you for chintzy shit. And we Mm. saw that too. And we, we saw how much that drove Dylan Larkin nuts. And hopefully he spends a lot of time this summer uh, recognizing that 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 he's got to find a useful way to uh, to work that frustration into his game that's not going to end up hurting him. So it'll happen. Yeah. He's he's still a kid. It's mm. there's a long way to go in his career. He's not a bust uh, if he doesn't turn out to be a, a one C. So I guess in a way, uh, Alex Young is right. Is that we uh, there was a lot of overhyping of his value. But I think in the same vein, there was a lot of realization of, of what was coming. And there was a lot of uh, accurate kind of takes on, on what he is. And I, I think Shanth has a nail. He's, he's not elite, and we shouldn't expect him to be one uh, like that. So, yeah. uh, Jay Stone tries to ask a funny question. Would you rather <laughs> fight a streak-sized Mr. I or a Joe-sized Gordy? That's uh, weird. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't get it. Gordy, how the size of the Joe Louis Arena would be very large. A 25-year-old Mike Illich is, like... But how is that size, though? That's that's the thing I don't yeah, get. I don't Street size. Yeah. Try again next time. Yeah. Uh, Labette Pan 66 wants us to talk about the Jamie Samuelson fan fantasy that guarantees <laughs> that Steve Eisman is going to be our next GM. Do you really want to? I don't. No, not really. Okay. He's not going to be our next GM. End of story. Yeah. And it was... It's a radio guy. Wishful thinking article. Uh, Rock Dan, any thoughts on the upcoming Griffins playoff hockey that you guys want to touch on? That series actually starts uh, tonight as you're listening. Uh, It's good that the future of the Wings will at least be getting some extra experience in the playoffs while the Wings are sitting. It's a... Is it bad that basically I'm looking forward to seeing how Talowski and Axel Holmstrom are going to be playing? 
and I kind of don't care about how the the, the whole <laughs> Griffins do. I uh, uh, makes sense. Those are two guys to definitely key in on. The guy that I'm also keeping an eye on is Giovanni Smith, because mm. um, he flew under the radar a lot. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, if he gets some time um, on the team, what he's able to do. I'd like to see that too, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Griffins have a really good chance of um, going pretty far in these playoffs. They were good all season long, even when the Red Wings were taking away a lot of their their more talented players. Um, I mean, they faltered through that, but uh, we've also, I mean, we've seen what happens. I, I think we've got a lot of skill down there that's, that's useful. Uh, I'll be rooting for them the whole way, but yeah, I, I still have, ten, have a tendency of looking at the Griffins as a buffet line for the Wings, really. So that's what I'll be keeping <laughs> an eye on is, is the guys who I think are actually prospects. Mm. Like power to Tim Grady if he wants to score a million goals, but I kind of don't care. Dan Cleary, MVP. <laughs> and our sizzle finishes it off with uh, a good question. I, and we did kind of touch on this one too, but what offseason potential move are you most terrified of? I, I think... S- Signing, signing a, a a big money free agent. I think yeah. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we can make. Yeah, I think JJ, you hit the nail on the head earlier. Um, my fear is he goes back for Thomas Vanek, and yep. mm. he's not going to have a lot of cap space. He may have, you know, if if you don't lose that abdicator or helm, you're going to and you. Sign Athanasiu Tatar and Ouellette to reasonable deals. You're probably going to have roughly three million in cap space if the cap inflator holds and it does go up to seventy six million. So, you know, I'm not I'm not sure he's going to have enough, but that would be my fear is he tries to max out the cap again. Yeah, I will go with uh, the simultaneous retirement of Zetterberg, Cronwall, and Franzen all at once. <laughs> All the recapture penalties. All yeah, just just drop it on us. Just fuck everything. <laughs> so that was a good way to finish that whole question out. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, we're we're done with the reader questions. So uh, Peter, you want to just take us out of here? All right. So um, to all our listeners out there, thanks a lot for listening to this episode. Um, do we have any any less hockey related thoughts? Nah. I- Crapped it all out tonight. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have anything left. I was going to go with fuck Chicago, so that works. Yeah, they're gone. They're out. Yes, it's Blackhawks elimination day. It is one of the best days of the year. All right, so um, for me, uh, for JJ, and for Prashant, thanks a lot for listening tonight, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.